we'll go from there. All right. Good morning again. Fritzberger, Blood and Faith.com. It's uh, 15 October 2023. The year has gone by so fast, and it's, it's hard to know what to what quite to do with that. Anyway, <clears throat> I, I had an article up there in bloodandfaith.com, and I talked about, I asked the question rhetorically, why do I talk about theology? And what we've been, uh, what has been drummed into us over the last several generations is theology really it has nothing to do with anything. How, how many <clears throat> angels can sit on the head of a pin kind of thing? And nobody believes Genesis chapter 1 anymore, and people don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and people don't really believe that he did miracles or prayed for sick or you know, don't believe in demons. And so it's considered foolishness. And the world and Satan and Satan's children, Satan's children have been very effective in driving the word of God out of the public discourse. Extremely effective at that. So effective that the church hardly believes the word of God anymore. And it's become, it's become a prayer club, a morality club, a singing club, a rapture club, a revelation club, an eternal life club, a forgiveness club, a 12-step club. And when I talk about theology, what I'm doing is I'm injecting ideas. I'm forcing ideas into people's mind. How do I force people's ideas into people's mind? Can I force them what to think? Can I force them what to believe in? Well, that's a great question. I can answer that both ways. I can answer it and say, absolutely, I can. And I can say, well, no, I can't force anybody to believe in something. But I'm going to take this morning, I'm going to take the perspective that, yes, absolutely, I can force people to believe in something. And guess what? The world believes that. Why do you think companies spend tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising? Why do you think Coca-Cola spends hundreds of millions of dollars on advertising? Do you think they do that because it does not work? What is Coca-Cola selling? They're selling poison. It's, it's high fructose corn syrup with caffeine in it and, and, and a little fizzy water in there. Coca-Cola sells poison for your body. It's fizzy water with high fructose corn syrup and caffeine. It's poison for your body. It destroys your body. It destroys your mind. It destroys everything. How can you talk anybody into, into doing that? Well, you spend $100 million on marketing. Coke adds life. And you got a bunch of beautiful young people frolicking on the beach, and you say, oh, I want to frolic on the beach with beautiful young people too. So you start drinking Coca-Cola. Well, they didn't really enforce it. Well, it works, doesn't it? You ever looked at uh, the old Time Life magazines from back in the 1970s, and you got the Dodge Charger out there or the Ford Mustang and what do they have on the hood of the car? It got a beautiful woman. Got a beautiful woman on the hood of the car. Well, you can't make me buy that Dodge Charger. You can't make me buy that Chevy Chevelle. You and 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 you look at this and you see all these images and you're like, oh my God, forget the car. I want the woman. But I, if to get the woman, I got to have the car. Ford, Chevy, GM. Dodge spend 
hundreds of millions of dollars on advertisement. Why? Because it works. Because they force you to think about things that you would not otherwise think about. They force you to believe. Well, I don't really believe. Yeah, but it changed your life, didn't it? It changed your life. It, it, it forced you to consider things that you would not normally consider. Why do you want a car with 450 horsepower? Well, for the girl. Well, there you go. There's the answer. It's, it's probably not necessary, but there you go. Is it a form of brainwashing? Absolutely it is. Can people force you to believe in something? I'm taking the answer this morning, 15 October 2023. The answer is yes. People can force you to believe things. Well, I just don't believe that. All right, here's let me give you another example. Any of you went to public schools, into kindergarten, junior high, high school, go to college, go to grad school? Well, I'm an educated person. Nobody can force me to it. Really? Do you believe that the earth is a globe that spins through earth? Spins through space? Spins around the sun? Spins around an, an eternal, endless universe? Well, science to say that that's all true. How do you know it's true? The only reason you and I know that's true is because we believe it's true. Only reason we believe it's true is because it's been pumped into our minds literally our entire life. Nobody's gone to the, the sun and measured uh, 93 million miles between us and the sun. Nobody's done that. We believe it because we've been told that. Well, but there's a scientific basis for it. All right, let me throw you out something else. How many believe that homosexuality is okay? How many people do you know that think trannyism and homosexuality is okay? Why would anybody think that's okay? That's fundamental, even with what we know and believe about science, quote-unquote. Two males cannot reproduce. Two females cannot reproduce. You can chop body parts off all you want. You don't change an XX chromosome to an XY chromosome. Well, that's different. My point is this. You absolutely can force people to believe things that they wouldn't otherwise believe. Well, you're imposing your morality and your values on, on you. That's exactly what the church is supposed to do. That's exactly the job of the church. That's the job of the Christian. Every individual Christian, every individual Christian, that's their job, is to impose their ideas and morality and beliefs on other people. Well, you can't make me believe in Jesus. Yeah, I can. Yes, I can. Maybe not you individually, but I can force society to believe it. How? How? By preaching the gospel. By introducing ideas into the minds of the church and into the minds of the world that you would not otherwise consider. I'm going to force you to deal with what I'm talking about. And absolutely I can force you. Maybe not you individually. You may consider what I have to say and, oh, but I already won. Because I'm forcing you to consider what I say. The only way you can keep that from happening is either shut me up so I, I don't speak, which is, you know, short of killing me, that's going to be impossible. If you cut my tongue out, I'll type and write. If you chop off my fingers, I don't know what I'll do. I'll stand out on the street corner and say, hey, this is what you all did to me to force me to be quiet. And you know what I was talking about. You'll know what I was talking about if somebody did that to me. You would know exactly why they cut my tongue out, and chop my fingers off if that happened. And be a witness there, a testament to say, look, this is true. 
You can do whatever you want, but still, you're gonna. I'm gonna force you to look at me and consider the things that you don't want to consider. So yeah, I can force you to believe things that you don't want to believe. That's the job of the church. It's called evangelism. And the Satan hates it. Satan's children hates it. The world hates it. We want to live in our fantasy where we're just an endless cosmic accident spinning around outer space with no accountability whatsoever to a maker, to a creator, to the Lord God Almighty. None. None whatsoever. That's the fantasy we live in. I'm a God. I'm a God in this universe. And I'm going to get whatever I'm going to get. And it's all mine. And I have no accountability whatsoever to any God or man or anything. This is the illusion that Lucifer, the angel of light, spun for Eve. And she took it. Eve made some mistakes before she did that. One, she, why is she hanging out with Lucifer? Hello? Hello? She was getting evangelized by Lucifer. How come she wasn't by her husband's side helping him tend the garden? She was hanging out with Lucifer. <laughs> he forced her to consider other ideas. That's the job of the church. Can I force you to believe something? We can parse that. We can kick that around. But I can absolutely force you to consider things. That's the job of the church, is to force you to consider things that you would not otherwise consider. Some will reject it. But that witness and testimony will be in their soul for eternity. And when they stand at the judgment day and Jesus Christ said, Hey, dude, it's me. I'm the guy he was telling you about. Oh, I didn't believe him. Yeah, well, you know, you know why you didn't believe him? Because it makes you accountable. Makes you accountable. People don't want it. Nobody wants accountability. That's why men don't get married. I don't want to be, can't answer to someone, can't tell someone. Who wants that? Same with women. I ain't, I'm no man. I'm, my, I'm myself. I'm me. I'm a woman. Hear me roar. The brutal fact of creation is that we are created. Ergo, therefore, we are accountable to the Creator, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Creator. Church, you've got to give up this idea that Jesus was a morality teacher that, 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 that sort of hung around for 2,000 years ago and then he got killed. And, oh, we, what would Jesus do? What would you, And you make up these man-made traditions about what Jesus would do. He would love the sinner. He would accept people. He would pray for them. He would, be, he would give unstinchingly. He let all the refugees in. And you make up this man-made religion. You make up a man-made religion that pleases the world and that pleases those who rejected Jesus Christ. This is why Jews have no problem with the evangelical church today. They really don't. They really don't. They're like, you know what? You keep on doing your thing. Because what the church has done, they go out there and they, they say, oh, the current modern day Jews of 2023 are God's chosen people. We have to grovel before them and do what they say and support that current state. And and it's like, you know, no wonder the Satan has doesn't really go after the church. That gets me to the book of Acts. 11 minute and 43 second introduction to the book of Acts. We're going to talk about Pentecost this morning and the first few sermons after Pentecost. I'd also like to remind you 
again, again, this is you know preachers do this all the time. They're like, well, I got to give you the introduction before I get to the message of it. It's like, you know what? I get tired of that. But I'm here. I'm doing it to you. Jesus Christ was not a great fan of Jerusalem. You realize that he didn't want to go there. He didn't want to spend a lot of time there. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He didn't grow up in Judea. He was born in Bethlehem, left to Egypt. When they came back, they said, no, we're not staying in the land of the Jews. We're not staying in Jewry. We're not staying in Judea. We're moving up north to Galilee. We're moving to Nazareth. Jesus Christ was not impressed with the leaders of the Jews. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around sea and earth and make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice the son of hell as yourself. That's what I want to talk about today. The proselytes. Proselytes to the talented. These Pharisees had abandoned the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'd abandoned the law of Moses. They had abandoned the prophets. This is why Jesus Christ said this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel or on land and sea and make one proselyte. What's a proselyte? It's a convert to something. So these Pharisees, these scribes, who were hypocritical, they'd convert people to the Talmud. But what's the Talmud? It's the traditions and precepts of the elders. They came out of the Babylonian captivity. Was it 586 B.C.? Finally, the southern two, tri two tribes, the southern kingdom, is invaded and destroyed and they're exiled. A few went to Egypt, including Jeremiah. The rest went to captivity in Babylon. Some ended up as, as far east as the Persian Empire. We read about that in the book of Daniel. We read about that with the story of Esther. And there, they really, really changed the religion. And, and Esther's a perfect example of that. You can't read about God in the book of Esther. There's no reference to God or prayer to God or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Moses in the book of Esther. It's a religion of themselves, by themselves, and for themselves. And they set up a new national holiday, which shall be obeyed forever by the Jews, to the God of chance. It's called Purim. This is the traditions and precepts of the elders. This becomes Talmudic Judaism. This is the Talmud. Talmud's not written down until two or three centuries after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But this whole idea of rejecting Moses and the God of Moses and the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, it goes back, it was there in Egypt. Oh, maybe we'll get to that this morning. It wasn't me you worshipped when you came out of Egypt, was it, O oh, house of Israel? You brought along the star of your God, Rapha. <sighs> breaks my heart. Breaks my, it truly breaks my heart. People called and chosen of God, and they said, no, we're not gonna, we will not serve. We will not serve. Also reminds me of the story where, 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 the, where the, the, the father, he goes out to the two sons. He says to the one son, he says, will you serve me? He says, yeah, sure, I'll serve you, but he doesn't. He goes to the next son. He says, will you serve me? He says, uh, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to serve you. Actually, he goes to the first son. He says, will you serve me? He says, the son says, no, I'm not going to serve you. He goes to the second son. He says, will you serve me? He says, yeah, I will. Later on, the son who says he's going to serve him doesn't. Turns away. 
that the first son's come back and repents and said, yeah, I'll serve you. Is that the story of Japheth and Shem? Is that the story of Japheth and Shem? Did God go first to Japheth and said, hey, what's going on here? You want to serve me? And Japheth said, no, 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 I don't think so. Goes to Shem, you serve me? Yeah, sure, I'll serve you. And then later on, Shem turns away. House of Israel turned away. They forsook the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They forget, forsook the God of Moses. It goes back to the first son, the, sons of, the son of Japheth, the father of the Europeans. He said, will you serve me? He said, yeah, we'll serve you. We repent. We repent for ever rejecting you, and we will serve you. I'm just throwing it out there. Try it on for size. We know for a fact that Jesus says, hey, I'm going to take the care of the vineyard away from you people who call yourself Jews. I'm going to give it to a different ethnos. It's Matthew chapter 21. Parable of the landowner. Both of these are in 21. The parable of two sons and the parable of the landowner. They're related. The parable of the two sons is related to the parable of the landowner. Yeah, I mean, what, you know, what do you think? Jesus just was trying to fill up pages in the books. We talked about these things. Or does this absolutely have something to do with the eternal covenant and promises of God? All right, I promised you I'd get you to Pentecost. Acts. Get my little thumbs working here. Acts chapter 1. Who are these 12, 11 apostles? Acts chapter 1, verse 11. They said, the angels said to them, they said, men of Galilee. Men of Galilee. Didn't say, hey, oh Jews. Now, I'm, I'm talking to the church. I'm talking to the modern Pentecostal, evangelical, Baptist church. People who still claim to believe in the Holy Scriptures. I don't know how much the mainline churches do anymore. Last time I went to Episcopal Church, you had two lesbians up there. But I am talking to those of us who still say, you know what, I believe in the Holy Scriptures. I believe the Holy Scriptures are right and true and proper and good for teaching in all matters. Those are the people I'm talking to. Oh, men of Galilee. Didn't call them Jews. Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost has come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in tongues. Okay, verse 5. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem. There were Jews living in Jerusalem. Who are we talking about? Yeah, Jews. There were Jews living in Jerusalem. Devout men from every nation under heaven. There's a great controversy about what a Jew is. What is a Jew? I ask that question a lot. What's a Jew? Well, the only answer I know of is you've got to go to the Holy Scripture. So there's devout men from every nation under heaven. Jews, who happen to be living in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own native tongue. We're going to go back to the book of uh, Acts. Oh, there we go. Now i got sound. All right, excellent. Now, 
what I have done, and I had a long introduction this morning, and I was talking about how is it possible to force other people to believe something. And for rhetorical reasons and practical reasons and truth reasons, my answer is yes, I can force other people to believe in something that they wouldn't otherwise believe in simply by talking about it. And if companies didn't believe that, they wouldn't do advertising. Coca-Cola wouldn't spend $100 million on an advertising budget if it didn't work. When you go to public schools and government schools, they teach you things and you believe it. You don't have this independent mind where you can figure out exactly how many miles the sun is from the earth. Nobody's laid out a yardstick between the earth and the sun for 93 million miles, but everybody believes it because they hear it enough. That's the way propaganda works. You propagate ideas, and it's the church's job to propagate ideas. So I've talked a lot about a concept called Jew or the Jews. Because why? It's a Bible concept. So we're going to talk about that this morning. The day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost falls. Men begin speaking in tongues. There's Jews there from every nation. Devout Jews from every nation there. They heard the sounds, and they were amazed, and they were astonished. First of all, he says, these people that are speaking, first of all, they don't call them Jews. Please notice that. You've got to pay attention to this stuff. He says, the people speaking in tongues, they're all Galileans. Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They didn't call them Jews. Please pay attention to this. They're in Jerusalem. They're not calling them Jews. We just saw it in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Jesus Christ ascends, ascends into heaven and the angels look at him and he says, men of Galilee. He doesn't say, oh, you Jews. He says, men of Galilee. He says, men of Galilee. Eleven of the twelve disciples were from Galilee. There was one from Judea. You know his name. His name was Judas Iscariot. By the way, for those out there in the, in the live audience, I have the great pleasure of having a grandchild with me possibly even a grand dog. So if things get a little rowdy, just pretend it's like the same church you go to where things get a little rowdy. And so they're saying, hey, we're hearing these people speak in their own native tongues. He said, look, these men are Galileans. How are they speaking in our native tongue? We each hear them in our own language to which we were born. These men were not the ethnic biological descendants of Jacob. These men were proselytes. They'd been converted in foreign countries and they grew up with these foreign languages. And so when they were in Jerusalem, because they were it was during a feast time, and they heard the Galileans speak in their native tongue. They heard them speaking in their own native tongue. He said, how can these Galileans, not the Jews, the Galileans, speak in our own native tongues. And others are saying, hey, we're natives of these other lands. We're natives of these other nations. We've converted to Judaism. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, for sure, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. This is a mixed crowd, ethnically diverse. 
hearing the Galileans speak in their own native tongues. These men had converted to the Talmud. They didn't convert to the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. They converted to something else. Cretans and Arabs. We're hearing speaking in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. These were not all of them. Some of them were. But they were not all the ethnic descendants of a man named Jacob. So Peter stands up. Now remember, Jesus Christ had been crucified. These men thought for sure they were next on the chopping blocks. And I'm sure that's exactly what the Jews had for them. So Peter took a stand and he said, Men of Judea. Men from this land of Judea. First of all, it's interesting that he said men from Judea. He says, These men aren't drunk. And he reads what the prophet said, the prophet Joel. In verse 22, he says, Men of Israel. He's calling to the men of Israel. He said, Listen to these words, Jesus the Nazarene. Please pay attention to this. He doesn't say Jesus the Jew. Why does the church go out there and bend over backwards to call Jesus the Jew? Why is that? My answer is not to honor the Word of God. It's not to honor Jesus Christ. It's not to honor the prophets. It's not to honor Moses. It's to honor these people who have rejected Jesus Christ. That's why they call him a Jew. Because they're afraid of the people that are the modern people who call themselves Jews. So they're trying to be liked by the Jews. And so they call Jesus a Jew. Well, we've seen... And we're going to see this morning that that's not what the early church called him. Peter says, men of Israel. Okay, who is he talking to? He's talking to the men of Israel. (laughs) Pay attention to this. We don't have these sermons anymore. It's funny how in the book of Acts, it's supposed to be, you know, we, we want to be a New Testament church. We want a book of Acts experience. Well, here's a book of Acts. Men of Israel. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the Nazarene. He didn't say, oh, Jesus the Jew. No, he said, Jesus the Nazarene. The man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders. This man, delivered over by a predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. All right, you want a good Bible sermon? Go to these people that call themselves Jews and say, O house of Israel, you nailed Jesus Christ to the cross by the hands of godless men and you put him to death. That's the first sermon after the day of Pentecost. He goes right to these people who claim to be from Israel and said, you're the ones that put Jesus Christ to the death. That's the first sermon. You want a, you want a New Testament experience? You want a book of Acts experience? Why don't you preach what Peter preached? Jesus the Nazarene, not Jesus the Jew. And he goes and he says, O house of Israel, O men of Israel, you nailed the Messiah to the cross. Oh, you know, I work for somebody. They have a policy in there. And and it says that to to tell the Jews that they're guilty of the death of Jesus Christ is classical anti-Semitism. It's one of their core doctrines. It's an antichrist doctrine. Here's what the Bible says. First sermon after Pentecost. O men of Israel, you nailed Jesus Christ to a cross. Funny how you can have a federal agency with a policy that 
explicitly contradicts the Holy Scriptures. Brethren. So he's talking to his ethnic brethren. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This is the very first sermon after the day, after the day of Pentecost. The very first one. The man of God, Peter, stands up and he says to the house of Israel, you are the ones that crucified Jesus Christ. He didn't blame it on the Romans. He didn't blame it on the pagan people. He says, O house of Israel, therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made them both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You want a Bible sermon? There's a Bible sermon for you. Church won't preach it today because they're terrified of the Jews. Literally, they're terrified of the Jews. So we have the in gathering. A lot of people get saved. And there's my little grandson. Hi. Yeah, we're reading the Bible this morning. All right, so that's the first sermon. That's the first sermon. Let's read the second sermon. Peter's out there. He's wandering around. He sees a lame dude. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Not Jesus Christ, the Jew. Why does the church preach that Jesus is a Jew? Why? I go to the book of Acts, it calls him a Nazarene. It says Jesus, the Nazarene. Why does the church insist on going around and saying Jesus, the Jew, Jesus, the Jew? The Bible says he's a, he's a Nazarene. And it says Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, the Galilean. It never calls him Jesus the Jew, ever. Not one single time. Oh, but I, you know, Jesus says salvation was from the Jews. It calls him a Nazarene. So Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, not the Jew, walk. And everybody's amazed. But Peter says to him, he says, men of Israel, why are you amazed? Why are you amazed about this? The God of Abraham. Now here's a man who goes back to the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered and disowned. Who's he talking to? O house of Israel. He said, you delivered and disowned him. You did. Oh, well, you can't see that. That's NHM. Well, this is, this is literally the first and second sermons in the Holy Scriptures after the day of Pentecost. The first and second sermons after the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up and said, Hey, oh, house of Israel, you're the one that murdered him. Oh, you can't say that. That's classical anti-Semitism. Well, if the Holy Scriptures is classical anti-Semitism, I guess I, 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 I need to yearn to be an anti-Semite. Why, why do you cling to man-made traditions? That's the mistake of the Jews. They had these man-made traditions and they overrode the Word of God with them. Well, here's the book of Acts. Here's your New Testament church. Men of Israel, God has glorified His servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered. You did. You did. You disowned in the presence of Pilate when Pilate had already decided to release him. 
You disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murder to be granted to you and put to death. Who did? You did. The prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, in the name of Jesus, which has strengthened this man, and the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. He then goes on, again, this is the second sermon ever in the history of the Christian church after Pentecost. And he's telling these people, he's telling the house of Israel, you need to repent. It will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet, which is Jesus Christ, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Now, this was not a popular sermon. As they were speaking, this is Acts chapter 4, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. What you say has an absolute effect. You say, well, I can't force anybody to believe anything. You go out there and you put that word out and it will change their life forever. You let God deal with the consequences of, 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 of whether or not they have some personal conversion in their heart. You say what needs to be said. If Peter and John had not said what needed to be said, nobody would have been saved. Nobody. Acts 4, verse 5. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes were gathered together at Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all who were of high priestly descent. This is literally the leadership of those who would call themselves the Jews. Leadership of the house of Israel. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and elders of the people. <laughs> and it breaks my heart. It makes me want to cry when I read it. Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the Nazarene, why does every church and preacher out there say Jesus the Jew when the Scriptures call Him Jesus the Nazarene? Whom you crucified. Okay, the first three sermons now, we're up to the first three sermons in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and he says to the house of Israel, you crucified Jesus Christ. And you got the modern church today will do everything they can not to say that. And they will blame it on the Romans. And the scripture said, we just covered this, the third sermon, the scripture's covered. He said, Pilate tried to let him go. The Holy Scripture said, Pilate tried to let him go. You disowned him in the presence of Pilate and asked for a murder to be granted to you instead when Pilate tried to let him go. He is the stone, Jesus Christ is the stone, which you rejected. You rejected him. So what happens? The council conversed together and then they summoned them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. Thou shalt, you can talk about God. And you get all these, all these people, all these uh, churches. Here comes my grand doggy. Grand doggy's coming in. Hide your coffee, coffee, folks. All craziness is about to be unleashed. Where'd he go? 
when they summoned them, they commanded them not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And you've got all these government authorities and all these mayors, and they'll have these long, long prayers. Like I said, we're in church this morning. It gets a little rowdy when people come in, and that's okay. And they'll have pray for God. They'll pray for oh, we pray in God, in God's name, in God's name. But they won't pray in the name of Jesus because it's offensive to the world. And too many preachers will give up on that, and they will they won't pray in the name of Jesus Christ publicly because somebody somewhere is going to get offended. All right, Ananias and Sapphira. We'll skip over that. Uh oh, here we go. Here's another sermon. So these guys are imprisoned yet again. They're imprisoned yet again. The hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. But the high priest rose up. They were filled with jealousy. And they threw him in jail. So what does Peter say? Oh, we serve the same God that you do. Does he say that? No. Here's what Peter says. When they were brought to them, they stood before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. For you filled Jerusalem with his teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Okay, we can go right back to when Jesus Christ stood before Pontius Pilate. And the Jews very explicitly said, His blood be upon us and our children. Now they're complaining. Now they're complaining because the preachers either saying, hey, you're going to bring this blood. They, they got the same thing today. Oh, it's classical anti-Semitism. Peter and the apostles answered. They said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you had put to death by hanging Him on the cross. Who did He lay this on? He's talking to the council. He's talking to the leadership of the house of Israel. He's talking to those who... who he, he, he was talking to the house of Israel. Now, we get to the final thing that we're going to talk about. The final sermon we're going to talk about. And this is from Stephen. Young man. He goes after. He's hauled before the council. And what does he say? First of all, I would note that many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Many people converted to Jesus Christ. Verse, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. A great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. But when Stephen was preaching, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they charged Stephen... For we've heard him say that this Nazarene, again, this Nazarene, he's not called a Jew. Jesus is not called a Jew in the first seven chapters, at least the first, I don't think he ever is. He's not called a Jew. Again, he's called the Nazarene. Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs. What are you talking about when he's talking about the customs? The customs are these oral traditions that Jesus Christ rejected. Those oral traditions become the Talmud. So the high priest, the number one dude, he says, are these things so? so?" And so Stephen comes up, he gives a whole history of the house of Israel.
Verse 42. God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven, as is written in the prophets. It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the house of the wilderness. Was it, O house of Israel? You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Rampha, which adorns the flag of the modern state of Israel today. It's the star of the god Rampha. David never had a star. There is no such thing as a star of David in the Holy Scriptures. It's the star of the god Rampha that that state of Israel has on their flag. That's the star that's referred to here in Acts chapter 7, verse 43. Stephen goes on. He says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you're doing just as your fathers did. He ties it all together. He ties it all together. He doesn't say, oh, you're just an exception. It's just a bad seed, just a bad generation, a few bad men. No, no, no. He says it's been consistent all the way back from when you all came out of Egypt. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteousness, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. All right, there's your first five sermons in the book of Acts after the day of Pentecost. In every single one of their sermons, Jesus Christ is called a Nazarene. He's not called a Jew. And the prophets, they look at the house of Israel and they said, you murdered Jesus Christ. You're the ones responsible for killing him. And that's the message for this morning. Fritzbergen, bloodandfaith.com, live. Colorado. We'll talk to you again soon.